0: Hi everybody, happy Wednesday. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week. Cheers to making it halfway through. It is December already, how crazy is this? This year has just been insane. For those of you who are new to these happy hours, I've been doing these for the last, I don't know, six months or so now meeting with a different woman from the automotive industry typically trades women uh, in various areas all over the automotive industry and I'm super excited this week to be joined by another incredible incredible woman I've known her for many years now uh, she started out as a technician she's been a service manager she's ASE certified um, she had her own parts store for a long time now she works for repair pal and does a ton of really awesome stuff with them. Um, She's a mentor and a leader and just an incredibly phenomenal woman. And I'm really excited to share, have her share with you guys. It looks like she's joining in right now we just gotta wait for the interwebs to connect us but i'm really excited for you to meet her hi jill hey how you doing all right that's
1: really big let me move back
0: i know it does weird things when it's two people yeah Yeah, you're like whoa (laughs) how are you my dear
1: i am good um you know kind of weathering the year as best as possible and uh you know, looking forward to uh, hopefully some better things next year.
0: <laughs> Here's yeah. to hoping. Here's to yeah, hoping. for how, sure. How has COVID been for you? Have you been just mostly working from home? Has it been?
1: Yeah, just mostly working from home. Our entire company went remote. Um I worked remote most of the time anyway, but now the entire company is remote and. Um, I went from traveling about 40% of the time, which you can totally relate to, to I am home a hundred percent of the time. This last <laughs> weekend we left and slept somewhere else for five nights. And that was awesome. Nice. we hadn't done that since March.
0: It's so, cr- <laughs> how does that feel? Like, I don't know about you, but for me, like being home all of this time has been like, wow, like I'm. I haven't sat still this long yeah, in, no. like, most of my adult life. And, mm-hmm. and, and like, me I kind of like it and kind of don't all at the same time. Yeah,
1: yeah, me too. I'm kind of, like, nervous about possibly going back out there and resuming, like, God, how am I going to do that again? Because I I like my house. I like being home. <laughs> um, my uh, fiancé, um, I don't know if she likes me being home, actually.
0: But, <laughs> We'll have to ask. We'll ask.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But, you know, our company's doing really well. And, um, you know, can't really complain because uh, my fiancé's a teacher. I'm working for RepairPal. Our income has not been affected like so many people out there. So um, I can't really complain, you know, in terms of writing this out.
0: We're doing it, um,
1: thank goodness, fairly comfortably.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I wanna I wanna talk about RepairPal a little bit. Um, but before we get into RepairPal, I wanna like go back in time yeah. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> and and share your story with everybody because a lot of folks who are following may not know you or have met you before. And um and part of the the purpose of these happy hours is to really, you know, introduce yeah. everybody to more of the amazing women in the industry. And you are like one of the like, you know. I bow down to you. You're just, you're amazing. And I would love for people to hear your story of how you started out.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a crazy story. And, um, you know, we've talked about it a few times and we have some like, uh, um, you know, similarities. So I went to college, I graduated. Um, I am a certified recreational therapist, (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty meaningless right now in my current role, but I did it. And, um, And started out in that field and graduated and I was working at a um, home for um, adults who had long-term psychiatric problems, locked unit, um, you know, therapy, they have physical therapy, they have um, occupational therapy, they have all different therapies. And a recreational therapist, what you do is you plan the whole rest of their day. So these therapies that they do are maybe good for like two or three hours of the day, but what do they do for like the other 10 hours of the day? So it was my job to kind of do that and uh, for them. And I did that for a few years. And, um, you know, it was just not for me. And <laughs> <laughs> I had a Volkswagen bug at the time. And I had an uncle who owned an auto shop. And my Volkswagen bug always broke down. Shocking. And, yeah, shocking. <laughs> but he... And I would take it to him and he would make me fix it. He bought me an uh, a idiot's guide to Volkswagen repair. Best book ever. <laughs> and he said, he said, if I fix it, I'm going to charge you. But you can go over there in the corner of the shop and fix your own vehicle and I will help you um, with it. But... You know, he's like, you should if you own this car, you should know how to fix it. Because at the time I was living in Southern California and I was driving between Northern and Southern California. And I have some pretty hairy stories about the Volkswagen bug (laughs) 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 having to stop, you know, every uh, uh, 30 miles to put three quarts of oil in it to keep going for 30 more miles. you know things like that using a pantyhose to tie around the belt because the belt broke off you know yep.
0: the only car that'll work on it's amazing but it'll work
1: (laughs) yeah and you know um so one night i was it was late at night and i was watching late night tv and i wasn't happy with my job it was crazy um in a lot of ways and and, um i saw a commercial and it said um you too can become an automotive technician. (laughs) 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 Call 1-800, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I probably could, right? So I did. And um, I enrolled and there was an 18 month program. And um, they it was like a half day program. And they only wanted you to go half day and go 18 months. So I convinced them that I was a college graduate and that I could do it in nine months. Like, I don't only want to go to school four hours a day if there's eight hours available. I want to do this. So I did. um, Graduated second in my class. And uh, much to the chagrin of my parents and just about everybody in my life, they were like, what are you doing? I cannot believe that this is what you're doing. Um, To the point where my dad was like, you know, uh, I'm not going to support this. So I I paid for it myself. He paid for college. So I guess that's fair. Um, (laughs) You know, I paid for it myself and I set off um, on my way. My first job out of college was at a uh, a Chevy dealer in Southern California. Um, I was their smog tech at the time. And uh, until they uh, got a, they, it it was not a great dealership. They were doing a lot of bad stuff there. So I did um, that for probably six months, and then I moved back up to the Bay Area. And at at the time, um, you know, in the Bay Area, there were several very prominent woman-owned shops, um, but I was too afraid to go there and approach them because they were like these these gods, you know, these right. goddesses, and I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna go. Uh, I'm not gonna go uh, talk to them. <laughs> Because who am I? So it was kind of funny. I was working at a auto shop. Um, I was a smog tech there. And I was, you know, doing some things. And this woman walks in to the shop. And she hands me her card. And she said, what are you doing here? Come and talk to me tonight. And it was one of the women from the shop. It was a shop called Phoenix Automotive. And it was in Oakland. And a woman named Pam Spence. Um, and I started working for her. That's and, awesome. Uh, that was, you know, that was pretty great. And uh, they want to know what you're drinking, Bogie. They want to
0: know what I'm drinking. I'm drinking whiskey, par usual. Yeah. Come on.
1: <laughs> I'm drinking kombucha with some, with some fun stuff in it. So
0: nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Tasty and good for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I, you know. I got to ask, yeah. ask real quick to rewind. How, what was it your parents weren't stoked about?
1: Well, my dad said women don't work on cars. Why would you want to do that and put yourself in the position with all those guys? Yeah. You know, and he's like, you've never done this because I was not into cars. My Volkswagen bug was my first, you know, any interest in fixing it. And I really wasn't super interested in fixing it. I just didn't have any money to fix it. So I had to.
0: Right. <laughs> So what made you go from I have no interest, because I was kind of the same way, yeah. right? Like I went from I have no interest in cars to working on my bug because I had to, to oh my gosh, I love this, I want to make a career out of this. How how did, what made that spark happen when you saw the advertisement? And you were like, yeah, yeah, I can be an automotive technician.
1: Yeah, you know, because my uncle owned an auto shop. And he'd talk to me a lot about it, and I was pretty good at fixing it. You know, I could get my spark plugs to stay in. I could do all those, things. which on bugs is a challenge. Is <laughs> a challenge. They usually just blow out, right? Oh my <laughs> so god, get got stories about that. Oh yeah, no, that there's lots of stories about, and lots of stories about how I got them to stay in.
0: <laughs> right. Oh you gosh. know, uh,
1: uh, you know. So I just. I, I was fixing my car, it seemed like, you know, it was the one thing about fixing cars that I still like to this day, is that when you do something, it fixes something, right? Like the work that I do now is just like all out there. And, you know, there's, there's not like a tangible, like, hey, I put that water pump on now, it doesn't leak water, you know, that there's something to be said for that, your direct action (laughs)
0: Yes. Oh, I agree. So, so, so much. There's nothing like that feeling when you fix a thing and you're like, I did it. I did a thing.
1: (laughs) And then my friends would see me fix their car and then they were like, Hey, something's wrong here. So I had several friends and we bought idiots guides for their cars too. Nice. And then we would like, you know, play around with these cheap tools that we bought to, uh, you know, do some stuff on their cars. And I didn't like what I was doing and I couldn't think of anything better. So I was like, hey, there's an advertisement. Why don't I do that?
0: I love it. I
1: love
0: it. Yeah. All right. So you worked for this woman's shop. Yeah. And became a better technician Mm -hmm. and started growing up in the industry. And
1: she actually said at that time, you should work in the front. Okay. You should be my service manager um, because you – You can articulate really well what's wrong with the cars in layman's terms, because I didn't grow up with all, with all, you know, in cars, so I could break it down really easily for them. So I worked half the time as a technician, and half the time I ran her shop when she was gone, and, um, you know, moved in. At the
0: time, how did you feel about that? Because I feel like a lot of women get told, you shouldn't be in the shop, you should be up front, and some... Are, are pleased with that because yeah. they enjoy the path that it takes them down. And then others are, are really not okay with it. I was hugely yeah. irritated by it when people would tell me it. when yeah. I was a tech. Now and I'm grateful. First,
1: yeah. And at first I was, you know, I was like, what? You don't think I can do this? She goes, oh no, you can do this. She goes, but here's the deal. She goes, when you're 40 years old and you're going to have to pick up that big tire and stick it on the car, you're not going to want to do it. And you're going to make more money in the front. And both of those things are true.
0: <laughs> and hence the challenges of finding technicians. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, uh, within year, a couple more years, I was mostly working in the front of the shop. Um, you know, I, I've always maintained my certifications. I always make sure that I'm technically up to date. But, um, you know... I, I started doing a lot of running shops and uh, you know, a little bit of repair here and there just to kind of keep keep that muscle um, you know, from atrophying. But yeah. But that is something a lot of women get told. Um, you know, at yeah. dealerships, like I've I've been a dealership service writer, um, and I was always like the top service advisor. It it was easy. People trusted me way more way, you know, they gave me a lot more trust than they would the guys.
0: I think there's a a really big piece to the being able to break it into layman's terms, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's like, and you know this as as well as I do, it's like, it's such a technical field. Mm
1: -hmm. There's so
0: many complicated words. And the biggest challenge that we have between repair folks and consumers is the miscommunication and when you can put things in English for people, mm-hmm. then it takes away that whole layer of, of scary.
1: Yeah, it does, it does. And, and you know, then, then they buy. Right. And they're much more likely to buy, and then you can explain it, you know. Um, and you don't, you know, the typical, I don't mansplain things, because I'm not a man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's, what happens next in your, so, in your journey?
1: So what happens next is, is I just kind of go on, I'm a, I'm a, um, I worked for GM, I'm a district service manager for them, I go back, I I rent for a few more years. And then um, I get promoted in that shop. And then I'm now the service manager again, because I was just trying to go back and just rent on cars, because I didn't want all that responsibility. But then I kept (laughs) I got promoted again and I was like, Oh, okay. So I was You like, just
0: can't oh. help but get promoted. Jill. No, no, I just can't like getting
1: promoted. Um, you know, I'd go back and I'd start to wrench for a little bit and then they would always call me in the front to explain things and I'm like, Well, you know, and you know, my you get tired of standing on a concrete floor all day. <laughs> so eventually, you know, I went to work, um, for Mercedes or for a company called Dynan Engineering and um I was I didn't know a, you worked for Dynan I worked for Dynan for 8 years uh I as that. A, yeah yeah so I started out as a um shop foreman and then I became the uh as a I moved into the front to be a service advisor it it paid better and uh it was there quite a long time until the internet um the first internet crash when everything kind of crashed around the very first one in the late '90s, yeah. Um, and at that time, we were on a growth path when, when it was when everything was booming. Then, I mean, we had kids coming in with M3s and a suitcase full of cash and doing, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in upgrades on their M3. Yeah. Um, so crazy. that was fun. <laughs> and then when it crashed, all that went away. So Dynon had to downsize. So they offered um, really nice, like six month severance packages to people to to basically leave. And uh, at the time my mom was sick. So I I decided like I'm out. So I did and I left. And, um, you know, and and I I stayed out of work for about six months. And then I went back to um, another dealership and eventually ended up at um, Mercedes Benz of San Francisco. And was there for a little bit and I was working in parts and uh, it was my first time ever working in parts. And they brought me in to bridge the gap between parts and service. Because usually in a dealership, they're they're battling. And they were yeah. like, okay, so if we hire a service person, they'll be able to kind of hopefully smooth that out. And and I did. Okay. Um, they, you I know, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> and I worked there. And then, you know, there's this this thing that happens where women just walk in. So this woman walks in. <laughs> And she says, (laughs) "This is, is, yeah, she says, hey, um, I need somebody to give me advice. I want to start a shop. And I'm looking for a consultant. Do you do that? And I'm like at the parts counter. I'm like, well, tell me about (laughs) it. And she starts telling me. And I'm like, I could do that. And her her idea was to start a woman-owned shop and uh to put a nail salon or something in it and kind of do this <laughs> it was her college project okay. and um she had no automotive knowledge at all so she needed okay. somebody to set the shop up the back of the shop so my goal my first thing i did for her was set the back of the shop up i literally bought lifts put oh, lifts wow. in i hired her technicians i did all that she paid me as a consultant <laughs> after about 6 months she asked me um you know, how I liked Mercedes Benz. And I said, it pays well. And uh, she was like, would you consider investing in coming here? And I was, and at the time it was going pretty well. And um, I was, I was, I said, okay. (laughs) So I, I did. (laughs) And we were able to grow that shop. Um, You know, I did a lot. I at that shop, I did turn wrenches a lot just because we had two technicians, and um, we were really one of the only women on shops um, in the area. And we we're super busy. Um, you know, we went from like 175 the first year to 400 the second year to 600 the third year to 800. Um, in the fourth year, and I left after the fourth year, the fifth year, I I believe if I was there, we would have done a million dollars. We were just like, going, going, going. And this is this is with only two, two and a half technicians, basically, we're just jamming, we're super busy. Um, Unfortunately, um, the business partnership didn't work out, it got really bad, very bad. And I had to make a choice. And that choice was either stay with the business or preserve my mental health. And um, I decided to leave, so I did. Um, and I went back to a mini dealer, just writing service. I was like, I just need something. It was such an intense four years that I was like, I just need something that I can do in my sleep. Yeah. And I can write service for European cars in my sleep, like no problem, <laughs> <laughs> and make money doing it. Like that's that's easy for me. Um, you know, and a lot of crazy stuff happened. Because um, when I left my business, she owed me a lot of money. And um uh you know, so and I just kinda had to let that go and just realize like, hey, that was an expensive lesson, but lesson learned. And um went to work for a mini dealer, wasn't super happy and I decided that I needed to get out of the industry. I didn't want anything to do with it, and I wanted to get out. So um, what I, I started just looking for jobs and I got, um, a pretty good job offer from Avis budget rental car to manage their fleet at San Francisco airport, um, be their director of fleet operations, which is still in the industry, but not in the customer facing automotive right. industry. So, um, I was going to start that, but I really wasn't super happy about it. So, uh, you know, they were doing all this background checking. It was going to be a month before like I started, and I had already quit my job. So I was just home hanging out. Um, and I was trying to, and so I was still looking on Craigslist to see if there was anything interesting or looking through ads and things. This was like eight years ago. And I came across an ad that said, Are you an ASC certified master technician who wants to do something different? And I was like, <laughs> this ad was written for me, because (laughs) yes, I am. So (laughs) I responded and, um, and it was repair pal. And they explained what they were doing. And it sounded really interesting. And I was like, hmm, I can do this. And, and, you know, uh, from my business, I was also financially like in the toilet seriously in the toilet about $315,000 upside down and I figured and with RepairPal, RepairPal was a startup and there was only there was only 11 people I met was employee number 12 and they offered me the job at 50% of what I was going to get paid (laughs) at Ava's budget and I was you know I when he called made me the offer I would he told me and i was like can we do any better and he's like we're a startup like this is it and i was like all right i'll do it and he's like are you sure are you sure you don't want to like you know he, this was on a friday think about it over the weekend and you know let me know monday and i'm like mm, no because i'm a whiteboard person i'm like pros and cons and if i pro and con this out i'm not gonna say yes because <laughs> <laughs> i owe so much money <laughs> So what made you say yes? You know, it was just, I thought it was a good idea. And it was something that the industry really kind of needed. And um, I don't know, something just told me to say yes. So I did. Um, Luckily, my, you know, my my fiance, who's my girlfriend at the time, um, was like, that's what you want to do, do it. And um, I did. And that was eight years ago. And I started there just as a contractor, actually. And then after um, two months, I became an employee and um, a certification manager. And then I became the director of the automotive group. And then I became the senior director of sales and marketing. And now I'm the VP of sales. And I'm also the president of RepairPal Express, which is a subsidiary company now of RepairPal. Um, You just can't help
0: but get promoted. (laughs) Every time you know, I talk to Jill, she's gotten a new promotion. She's doing something new. <laughs> she's moving up. But then you know, people that,
1: ask me why I don't play softball anymore. It's because then I always become the manager. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what an amazing gamble you took just trusting mm-hmm. your gut. And I feel like that's been a recurrent theme through mm-hmm. your life, right? You, yeah. You took this chance on, I'm going to go to automotive school. You took a chance on starting a business. Mm-hmm. You took a chance on taking a huge pay cut yeah, for something that just felt right in your gut. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you attribute that, that ability, like people would look from the outside and go, Oh, that's fearless. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that it necessarily is because there's always no. kind of fear involved. No, I'm totally,
1: <laughs> you know, I I'm totally afraid a lot of the time. And when I make these decisions, but I think it's just being able to like put that fear aside and realize like fear is is a it is an emotion if if something is evoking invoking an emotion in you it shouldn't be ignored right so if i go into a situation and especially these situations and there's like scary things and and i'm fearful of it that i really need to look at that and is it what what am i afraid of you know um financial insecurity i was already like i figured if i wasn't making any money nobody could get any money for me from me. Right. <laughs> if I don't have it, you can't get it. So if I was making more money, they were just going to figure out how to come in and take it anyway. Right. <laughs> fair. It's a fair. You point. know, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately through that process, you know, before that, um, before I, I uh, was in before the auto shop, I was married, um, owned a house in San Jose, unfortunately owning the shop and all the pressure of that it tanked my marriage. Um, you know, and I came out the other side, but, and you know, you think these things are really, really bad, but I can tell you like my life is in a way better place than it was. And I'm much happier I'm much freer. And, um, you know, I have things I bought a house in Oakland last year. That is something that I never thought never in a million years would I ever be able to do that again because of all this wreckage from the past.
0: And, um, I did. <laughs> so I want to I want to talk about um, Women in Auto Care, because mm-hmm. I know, like, so for those who don't know, Women in Auto Care um, is an organization. It's part of the Car Care Council. Um, Jill and I are both members and have been very involved over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been incredibly involved and, and been a big part of their mentorship program, mm-hmm. um, both on the giving and the receiving end, I think, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, And that was a really instrumental thing in in your life.
1: Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. You know, and talking about fear again, um, we were uh, walking into women in auto care was like rocket walking into for me is like, this room of rock stars, like Bogey was there, Jody Devere was there, all these people were there. And I was like, afraid of them. Like, they intimidated me like, and the women in there intimidated me, I did not feel like I belonged amongst them. And um, now those women are like my legit friends, like I wouldn't go to Phoenix and not see (laughs) bogey. You know, and um, so when women in auto care, like, years ago, there was a mentorship program. Well, there still is. And now it's a very robust mentorship program. And sitting there, I came out of just the day to day shop world. And I now work in a startup culture in a kind of more corporate environment. And I didn't really understand it, the politics and how it all works. And I'd get blindsided by things and I'd be like, like, this is crazy. So I decided I need a mentor. So um, I've been going to their meetings. They, you know, we, prior to COVID, we had two conferences a year and I'd kind of, you know, I'd been to, uh, this was my third meeting I decided I needed a mentor and I looked around the room and I decided my mentor should be the person in the room who intimidates me the most. And there were two women in there. One of them, her name was Tammy Tecklenberg and the other one was, um, Amy Bonder. And Amy Bonder worked for Fire uh, Firestone Bridgestone. She was a VP of sales. And Tammy was like a VP of marketing for Spectrum Brands, which is like uh, Turtle Wax and all that. And, um, you know, I actually got along better with Amy, but Tammy was way more intimidating. And if you ever meet Tammy, Tammy and I are, we couldn't be more different. So I called her <laughs> and I was like, I one I didn't even know that, you know, I just got her name off the website. And I was like, I'm gonna call her. So I called her. I and I was pretty sure she wouldn't know who I was. So and I said, Hey, I need a mentor. Um and she was the head of the mentor program. Can you be my mentor? And she was like, Yes, I can. And um, you know, we started off on this journey and Tammy lives in Connecticut. Tammy is very put together and she has this executive presence and (laughs) she dresses to the nines and, um, yeah, she scared me. She scared me for years, even though she was still my mentor. Now, (laughs) um, Tammy is one of my best friends and, um, Tammy's actually, if I ever, if we can ever have a wedding, she is going to be my maid of honor in the wedding. Um, you know, so she's made such an incredible, um, Um, impact on my life Um, and you know through her I've met um, Laura Suave who is an executive with Pet Boys and the three of us are really good friends now and these are women like like I couldn't be more different but I you know what I found is that I don't learn a lot from people who are like me I learn a lot from people
0: who are not like
1: me That's a powerful
0: statement. mm -hmm. Very, very true.
1: Yeah. Like I can, you know, I had my whole group at, you know, I've learned a lot from everybody at women in auto care and there is a definite group of women that like, I just get along with way better. And I do learn lessons from them, but uh, we, we kind of are on the same wavelength. Like Tammy is on a totally different wavelength and I've learned so much and you know, being able to walk through that fear. And she could have said no, and that would have been fine. Um, yeah, but she didn't. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm eternally grateful that she didn't, you know, she's walked me through um, when I, as as I said, I got paid 50% of what <laughs> now now it just sounds absurd 50% of what I should have been getting paid and um it was a little absurd but it worked out it It worked worked out really well you know one thing I can tell you if you do take a job like that the slog up the hill to getting paid what you're worth is a long one and um she coached me through so many salary negotiations that now I make I make probably I make two and a half times what I would have made. So it's worked out for me. Um, You know, every time I go in to my review, you know, we have a form, basically a form that I fill out, you know, that I go through, and these are the things I've accomplished. So that way, when I sit down, and I ask for more money, I have like really tangible things that I've done, that were not a part of my core duties. Um, and every single time I've gotten a raise, I've never gone through a cycle without them. And I've actually gotten raises that were like 30%, 20%, 10%, not just the, um, the standard kind of 3%. Learning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can we
0: dig into that a little bit? Cause I feel like that's a recurrent theme that I hear from, from not just women in the industry, but oh, from they Yeah. I, I saw it. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Tammy's good people. Yeah. Um, there, I feel like I hear from women and men a lot, like not knowing how to ask for a raise, how to ask for what they're worth, how to, to get over that fear, to be able to say, like, I did this, I accomplished this, mm-hmm. I'm worth this. Can you talk a little bit more about that process yeah. for you? Yeah, for me,
1: what it, what, it's, what it is, and I spend, like right now, I'm in like kind of an evaluation process about the year and what I did and like what my goals are going to be for next year. And when I meet with um, the CEO of our company, who's my direct supervisor now, I, I talk to him about like, what does he want to see happen next year? And then I kind of build the roadmap from there. And I keep that roadmap. And then when I do something else that's not on my roadmap, because I figure if I just follow my roadmap that he gave to me and that we've built together, I'm just doing my job. If I want an above average raise, I need to do a little more than my job. So I have all the things and you have to perfectly execute on, (laughs) on your core comp on your core. But then I do other things and I, um, you know, and I, I make sure to keep track of that. You know, people talk about documentation. And, uh, you know, when I was in, um, when I was a service writer, I'd tell my technicians, if it's not documented, it's not true. So if you didn't write it down,
0: it didn't happen. It didn't happen.
1: So I, I, I think that is a, a skill that I've taken that actually, Tammy's, you know, we've talked about it a lot and now I do it for myself in the beginning she walked me through it now I I can do it myself and I I do share it with other people and just keep a documented history about your accomplishments because if you don't like you don't remember what you did last January and you don't remember March and you know we all have such busy lives so I literally when I do something that I feel like is significant and is outside of my job description I write it down so that way when I sit down for my... Um, Pre review review, which we have a pre review, I go over it. And I say, here's, you know, here's what I did. Here were my goals. I'm within, you know, or this is what I didn't execute on very well. And here's my, my plan for next year. Um, You know, it works
0: i think I think that's huge, and I think it's something that so many people need to hear
1: mm-hmm. there's
0: There's a mental component to that too, though right like there's the documentation, there's setting the goals, there's achieving beyond the goals, and all mm-hmm. of those like that's huge, and I love your worksheet like I think that's yeah. just so phenomenal. How did you get yourself mentally over the the fear of asking for more? <laughs> you know, the
1: first time I asked for more, and I got it, it was 40%. Then from there, you know, uh, here's a funny story about that, right? (laughs) So I get 40%. Then the next year, I get like 10%, which is cool. And then the next year, I get 5%. And I call up Tammy, and I'm like, hey, I only got 5%. She's like, that's great. And I'm like, no, it's not. She goes, raises are like 3% usually, like, you just cause you when know, I was like, just cause oh. you
0: got 40% the first time. I was time. like
1: <laughs> 40 and then 10. And I was like, I complained about it. And you know what? The funny thing is I complained about it and I didn't get more money, but I did get more equity, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, it's just not being afraid to put it out there about the value that you add. You know, I, I started out as a running the certification program at RepairPal. And one of the gaps that I saw that wasn't happening is the industry awareness needed to happen in order for us to grow. So at that time, we only had 100 shops. Nobody knew who we were and everybody who did hated us. And um, now we have 2,700 shops. And I'm meeting with some of the biggest auto shop chains in the country who wanna come and be a part of our network. And sometimes I get to tell them no, yeah. you know, and that's that's powerful. Like no, like your practices don't meet our standards.
0: One of the things that people who don't know you may not know is mm-hmm. is your your commitment to quality and mm-hmm. um, and really improving the automotive industry. Yeah, and you know, there's there's a ton awful stereotypes about the industry yeah. and there's a lot of really crappy shops out there that fulfill that stereotype.
1: Oh yeah, they totally and
0: have <laughs> earned it for us, <laughs> right? And then there's the other side like we know that there is a ton of amazing shops and amazing technicians and amazing folks in the industry who are who are really doing right by people and yeah. um you've been really committed throughout your career to highlighting that and increasing the number mm-hmm. of of those good shops. So um we haven't talked about it at all. So tell us a little bit about what RepairPal is and why why you're so passionate about it and what you think its contribution is to, to the industry.
1: Yeah, so RepairPal, what, what, we, what we do is we have a fair price estimator for auto repair. Um, I actually, that's my product. I'm constantly working on it, constantly improving it. Um, and so you can put in your year, make, model, your zip code. And it will tell you what a fair price for that repair is in your industry. And I want to emphasize that it's a fair price. It's not a cheap price. Because the other thing that RepairPal does is we have a network of certified shops. And we thoroughly vet our certified shops. Like they are truly certified. We make sure your ASCs are are in order. We check to make sure the techs have gone to training. We make sure that you have the right tools and equipment that you can actually do the job. And we survey their most recent customers to make sure that people are happy with them and not until after that do we even list them on the site and you know this is like so important to me because you know i've worked at a lot of different shops and i've left a lot of shops just because the shit that was going on i didn't believe in it i believe like if you thoroughly check out a car there's things that that need to be fixed yeah. you don't have to lie about it like look at the car and and get to know your customer like Is it somebody who wants that car perfect and you know never wants it to break down is it somebody who you know is fine driving around with some raggedy stuff and they just you know need to get from here to there like know your customer and then you consult to them because there's people out there most people don't want their car to break down
0: right (laughs) 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 you know
1: so so if you present you know in a way that you know highlights like the benefit and value of what you're selling and what they need to do to make sure that they don't break down like that that's powerful and, and that is you know it's kind of how i built my career and those are the shops that we look for with repair so we make sure that the shops that we put in are our shops you know my final approval is would i send my mother there by herself and I've had to dig my mother out of a few unfortunate situations with auto repair shops. Mostly dealers. Uh, all dealers, actually. All dealers. <laughs> all dealers.
0: <laughs> I don't know if we can say all dealerships. Well, no. I think there's good no ones. no
1: no not not all dealers. I the the two times I've had to unwind
0: situations oh, have been were all
1: were both dealerships.
0: <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But you know, I think, and what I've learned, and, and I I mean, I knew this before, there's a few bad apples out there. And you know, the saying that one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Totally true, because the majority of the industry is good, hardworking, honest people who want to help people. Yeah. So you have these yahoos out there who are not doing it right. And they give a bad <laughs> reputation to everybody. So with RepairPal, we work hard to highlight those people and to send them, um, you know, good customers who need their car repair. You know, I'm pretty proud that this last in the last month, consumer reports, our shops are listed as the certified shops on consumer reports. Nice. Uh That's like a big win for us. You know, they vetted us for about three years and really went through our systems and um, they've had our estimator on there for a while, but they never listed our shops. And, you know, the good work from our partnership team, like they, they climbed that hill. And now if you look on their certified shops, those, those are repair
0: pal shops. That's awesome. Awesome. What, what do you, what do you think it is that is like the biggest challenge for, for the industry in overcoming those bad apples, those bad stereotypes? Like what, what? What's the biggest challenge? What can we do to overcome that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of that is going to be taken care of by the technology that is on (laughs) vehicles. Today, they're getting harder and harder to work on. So, if these shops are not investing in those things, they're not going to even be able to play. Yeah. You know, so if they're not investing, they're not going to be able to play. And I think just, consumers being aware of what's going on educating themselves like you do a lot of car care clinics that's amazing when we i you know was involved with the shop we did a lot of them and just educating people and asking questions like teaching consumers to ask questions yeah you know you go to the doctor and you ask a million questions he doesn't just say it, you know oh I need to amputate your leg and you go okay <laughs> right right
0: <laughs> no absolutely absolutely I compare us to doctors all the time I know mm-hmm. I know you do as well like because we, cause we yeah. are we're car doctors right and mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of similarity and yet doctors don't have the same negative reputation and and awful yeah you know, stigma that automotive shops do and not a repair mm-hmm. folks do. And I, I hear even from technicians saying, All shops are crooks, they're all out to rip you off. They're all out to take advantage of you. I'm like, oh, how do we how do we get over that stereotype? Like how do we move beyond that and like help consumers understand the complexity of today's vehicles and that not everybody's out to get them. Like how do we yeah. fix this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I knew, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what we try to do at repair pal. And I think, you know, being out there and talking about it and um, you know, just the next generation, because you know, there didn't used to be as much transparency and people were not as connected. So if you know, these if these things are things happen, I feel like bringing them to light. And, you know, in California, like there's the Bureau of Automotive Repair, Um I actually had a meeting with them the other day. And they said that their their number of complaints has significantly increased. And, you know, so it, it's hard, like, uh, I know, like, I quit several shops and went other places because that was going on. Um but a lot of people aren't in that position. Luckily, you know, I'm living in the San Francisco Bay Area. There's a bajillion auto shops, auto shops <laughs> right? right? <laughs> so you could, you could just move around. But I guess, you know, yeah. um, you know, well, I think here's a
0: novel way yeah. that people can use RepairPal. If you're mm-hmm. a technician out there and you're not happy with the shop that you're at.
1: Yeah, look not- at our shops. They're always looking. Mm-hmm
0: look at RepairPal and look at their shops, absolutely. So it's Mm -hmm. a tool in multiple different ways.
1: Yeah, I never thought about (laughs) that, but that is true. Because our shops are, um, we monitor our shops, we monitor their customer service. You know, we have our robust, we have a robust partner platform with CarMax and USAA and Verizon and and, uh, Consumer Reports. We have like 40 partners that thoroughly have vetted us. So we have a lot of internal support that if a consumer has a problem, they call into us, and we deal with the shop, including we remove about, I don't remember what the percentage is, but it's two to 3% of our network a year for bad behavior. So um, for bad behavior, (laughs) for bad behavior, like not, you know, charging too much or just some very bizarre things.
0: Okay, but, you saying that makes me have yeah. to ask some very bizarre things. What is the most bizarre thing that you have had to um dismiss a shop for?
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just you know, like crimes really <laughs> for crimes that have happened, you know that they've brought up and and we have a a process now that we've put in place where we we, we continuously kind of go back and and look. Um, you know, and and see, but we've had some interesting interesting things happen. Let's. Just put it <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, but we have a whole internal support team that handles that, and the consumer can call in. Sometimes the shop calls in and complains about the customer, and uh, you know, sometimes the partner has an issue with the shop or there's all kinds of ways, but we've gotten really good at, you know, figuring out what the real, the real, real is. Yeah. yeah. I have
0: to admit when I, when I was in, I had my shop and repair Pal kind of first came on the scene. I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I was so unhappy with it because I thought mm-hmm. that it was going to be this Way for customers to come in and say you're charging too much, yeah, and that it was going to be based on some unrealistic mm-hmm. price or dollar yeah. amount. So, um, I've been pleased to yeah. to learn more <laughs> and see how RepairPal has has grown and how much that is like the antithesis. Like RepairPal is yeah. such an awesome support for consumers and for shops. Mm -hmm. um how how does the estimator work because i know there's a lot of skepticism from industry folks yeah anybody watching who's industry like i want you to hear how this actually works (laughs) yeah
1: so our estimator is built with industry data so the back end of the estimator the labor times come from motor and we actually do a little um depending on the area we might bump the motor time here and there um we have We've done like extensive research of the whole United States. So like in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's outrageous. Um, so the labor times get a little bit of a bump. We base the parts prices on um, OE list price. We can get that through motor. We've we're recent we're uh, right now we're working to in um, we have an additional aftermarkets parts feed that we compare it to, and then we default to the higher price. Um, We have a couple other parts feeds that I think we'll be integrating this year. So it'll have, you know, a wider range and a bigger breadth. Um, Our labor rates um, are based on every zip code. So we've gone through and done extensive research about what the labor rate should be in your zip code. If you want to know what it is, you should go and look at your zip code and then you can put in um, general diagnosis. It'll tell you what the average labor rate is for your area and it's it's variable so bmw has a higher labor rate than say honda so you can kind of go around it and, and play with that and um you know the one thing for our shops that we do too is we stand behind our estimators for shops and consumers so if you go to a repair pal certified shop you say hey repair pal says that that water pump is 300 bucks it's not it's five and what the shop is should do is charge you the three And then they submit to us at estimate feedback at repair pal. It actually comes to my team. We do a quick evaluation of it. And um, if we're wrong, we pay it and we pay probably 80% of the time. And then we submit to motor to let them know that that is wrong. And then in their next quarterly update, they fix it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So There's this like whole interworking of behind the scenes, like improvements to the Mm -hmm. industry and improvements to pricing. and
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we just like, that's a big part of my job. Um, you know, we're about to do a big labor rate update. Um, we're looking for additional parts feeds. I mean, we're constantly trying to improve it to make it better. And if you compare our estimator to other estimators out there, we're usually like at 10 to 20% higher. And the reason why that is because we actually figure out our labor rates by zip code, most of the other estimators out there break the country into sections, and then apply a labor rate to those sections. Now, that doesn't work. We have areas in New Jersey, where on one side of the river, the labor rate is like 80 bucks. And on the other side, it's like
0: 110.
1: And if if geographically, it's only less than a mile apart.
0: Yeah. And that and and when that happens, and those types of estimators, it creates it creates the feeling of being taken advantage of even when you're not being taken advantage mm-hmm. of. Because you may be at a reputable, fantastic shop who's not lying to you, mm-hmm. who's giving you fair pricing, but you look at some estimator that's looking at a national average rather yeah. than specific to your area, and the prices are off. I, yeah. I appreciate that RepairPal has like a range. And I don't mean yeah. this to uh, like, wind up sounding like a commercial, but I think it's really important what RepairPal does. Like, mm-hmm. Um, that you guys offer a range of what it is. And I, my favorite part is that at the bottom it says like, this is based on like, without a visual inspection of knowing what additional parts might be needed because that's the other area where people Mm will come in and say, well, my water pump was supposed to cost this much money, why is it so much more? well, mm-hmm. we did your timing belt too, or we did your <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you had to do all
1: these other things. You right. know, that's one of the big things that I'm working on, Um, that I'll be working on in in 2021 is um, we have, we have some associated repairs, but like be making that feature way more robust so that you can say, oh, it's a water pump. And now you can actually add timing belt. And then, um, you know, hopefully next year, you'll be able to add tensioners and drive belts and things like that. Just so that you know, you can sit there and use it with the consumer and like even just pull it up and be like, Look, here's what you know, you need, you need all these things. Yeah, because I think a lot of the black eye is also like you said, is just miscommunication. Like most you know, now I think the better shops are evolving and they have people who are trained to be in the front and they know how to, to interact and and to, to sell auto repair to consumers. But in a lot of shops, you have the technician, the owner, who's a technician, who's selling the repair and who doesn't have those skills. They're super skilled technicians, but that skill and this skill, like that's totally different. And... A lot of that, you know, I'll sit and chat with somebody all day, like, you know, well, we could talk in circles, you know, because at the end, I want them to authorize the repair. So I'll just keep going until until I get my way. Which I do in life anyway. (laughs) Shocking. My mom and uh, my fiance. (laughs) She's just going to keep circling around trying to find the angle.
0: (laughs) Everything is sales. Everything is sales. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. That's awesome. So we have six minutes before Instagram kicks us off. So, we only have an hour. Um, All right. <laughs> so, are there, are there any other, like, fun, exciting things that you've got going on? Other projects that you're involved with? Things that we haven't touched on yet that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, like, I'm right now um, running a subsidiary company. I still run sales, and not, not marketing anymore, but sales. And uh, our- Because you didn't have process. enough on your plate. Because <laughs> I didn't. So, now I have the subsidiary company of RepairPal called RepairPal Express. And we are doing um, ADAS calibrations and um, high-end diagnosis and programming for CarMax and for independent shops and body shops. It's a, it's totally B two B, not B two C, because we have a robust network of shops that yeah. we don't we don't need to provide for consumers. But like in terms of the technology, like we uh, I have several vans in the Bay Area now, and we go around and if a shop or CarMax or um, you know, a body shop can't solve a problem. We come in with the van and we do it. And we do the eight calibrations, we do the pre and post scan for body shops. Um, so that's been really interesting. That's been super challenging as well, just considering like it's COVID and California was burning down and we had extreme heat. <laughs> like, I mean I could go on and on about that. And uh <laughs> I can tell you it's nearly taken me out.
0: But... I'm sure. I remember talking to you. I don't remember which women in auto care conference it was. It was one of them where you, it, this was yeah. just a kernel of an idea. Yeah. You're like, I have this concept. I have this idea.
1: Yeah. And now
0: it's become this whole huge. we got
1: fans and we got, I have, I have equipment that you would drool over.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I drool easily. I have, I, have
1: the, I have incredible equipment. I have all of it. And I have, um, you know, a pretty small, but, you know, really experienced staff of people um, that I, you know.
0: That's awesome. No, that's just California, right? Or is it just in California right now? Is Um, it going to be going national?
1: Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, You know, COVID really slowed us down on that because we were out of the field for four months um, of the year. And then we went back into the field. And then, you know, with COVID, like, I have one of my staff on quarantine right now. And, you know, because he's not feeling well. So <laughs> it's like, a,
0: yeah. How, how, do you, how are shops doing during COVID? Like, do you feel like overall, like, shops are doing okay? Or
1: So, yeah. You know, how we tell is we, we monitor ROI and value. And one of our best quarters in company history was quarter two. Um, it kind of went back down a little bit in quarter three, but like we have seen a year of growth. we we're gonna end we, we're not flat, we're not down, we are up. Um, and that's a win. you know that's a huge win that you know shops are getting a lot of volume. Um, we've we've managed to still land some really good partnerships um, to be able to drive more business to those shops. So um, shops I think overall are doing, well, That's good that hear. being said, um, you know uh, the numbers of we monitor cancellations, and our biggest cancellation number in the last couple um, months is shops going out of business.
0: So, do you? I mean, shoot, there's so much more to talk about. Do you yeah. feel like it's it's the better shops that are staying in business? Absolutely. And it was like COVID, kind of like thinning the herd a little bit. You feel like? Yeah, I
1: think it's thinning the herd. Cause if you don't have good marketing in place, if you don't have, you know, the right tools and you can't fix all the cars, you're gonna struggle. Right. right. Cause you need to fix every car that comes in the door right now.
0: Totally. Okay, in the last minute, words yeah. of advice to the younger you.
1: Um, just do, follow your dream. Don't follow somebody else's dream. Follow your dream and make it happen.